Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast, Archbishop Ron File and right with us. Archbishop, of course, we're talking about uh, how you evolve into becoming an exorcist. Uh, as a priest, of course, I bet the, you didn't wake up saying, I can't wait to be an exorcist. How did that calling occur for you? Well, my calling began very early in life. I was about maybe 10 or 11 years old, and I actually have had what, what I would refer to as a supernatural experience. Um, I was in the bathroom taking a shower, and a bright light just beamed into the room, into the bathroom, and it was so bright. And at that particular time, right at that split second, I had what I would refer to as a, a vision of myself in a Roman collar, that's a clergy shirt, uh, and operating as a priest. Not as an exorcist, but as a priest. priest. And then uh, along the years, I decided to, um, to get more involved, and I received holy orders in the mid-'70s, which is being ordained into the priesthood. And then uh, at that point, I approached my bishop and asked him about the ministry of exorcism. Now, it was known that he was an experienced exorcist for many years, and he was my senior and one of my mentors. And so he basically took me under his wing, and this was like uh, I was the second priest um, in the team in regards to assisting the exorcist, who was a bishop. And so at that time, I'm assisting him and watching all of this unbelievable things happen. And let me say that um, what happens behind closed doors when a ritual is, is actually taking place and the case is actually genuine and the person is really possessed, there are things that you will never, ever forget. I and bet. I bet. It's just totally mind-blowing. When you started off doing house blessings, what did that entail? Well, house blessing is basically... Um, you you walk into the you you walk into the house and you start praying. It's a series of prayers, and you just walk through every room, and uh, sprinkle holy water, and um, basically you're you're blessing the house. And it is a form of um, of exorcism, but it's um, it's it's more of a general blessing, if not anything else. Is it a custom or a standard the procedure, or do people call you because there's an issue in the house? In our case, people would. Uh, call us and request um, some type of services. If it's a, uh, uh, it all starts off with a demonic investigation. So we have to evaluate, make sure that the whatever's happening is actually real, and it's not in the imagination of the person who called us. And that's where we do the investigations as to um, the person who is the victim. We look into. Um, what they've been going through, what type of documentation they have in terms of a uh, psychiatric examination. If they don't have one, we would request that they, um, that they seek one out. We would like to have that along with a, uh, a physical examination that is uh, something that's uh, tangible, uh, a health report, if you will. That, too, would be submitted along with the assessment report. So all these things are done before an actual ritual. We have to do... Uh, what I would refer to as the process, which is part of the assessment. The assessment has to take place first. And once that's taken place, we review the information. We have three psychiatrists that uh, belong to our organization. They would read the psychological reports and make their evaluations and recommendations. 
then I would review the actual footage of the first contact interview and the investigation in the house, and then I would look for outward manifestations that I would call um, something that would be of a supernatural nature. Let's say something moving in the room or mm-hmm. something, something happening uh, that, uh, that's not what you would normally see. Um, and, and once that has my attention, then I have to make a decision based on the recommendation of the psychiatrist, that would be the psychological community, as well as my just my own discernment. I've been involved in this for almost 40 years, if you can believe that. That's a long time. Um, a long time. And as a result, um, after the 800,000 demonic uh, investigations I've been directly involved with, I've done probably... 2,000 or just over 2,000 actual rituals of exorcism. Now, that sounds like a very small amount considering the 800,000 cases that I have actually um, led an investigation, did the evaluation, and so on. But um, 800,000? Wow, my gosh. When you start the assessment for these demonic issues, what do you look for? We look for... um, we look for the information that they provide us. We ask them a series of questions. And based on their answers, then we can make a, some kind of conclusion as to whether or not um, there might be a mental uh, issue going on or if there's some type of other thing other than what they're claiming. Um, if we rule out everything and the issue is, and it seems to be a demonic issue, then we take it to the next step. The next step is actually involving the exorcist. The exorcist would be an appointed clergyman who is uh, appointed as an exorcist, and he would go and join the team of investigators, and they would go back to the home, and they would actually uh, perform the ritual, which could take uh, anywhere from a day to a week to a month. It just depends what the situation is and how it's been assessed. Will these entities attack anyone? Will they go after a righteous person Will they go after a little child? Will they? Do, yes. I mean, they have no boundaries, do they? They have no boundaries. Uh, let me um, point a case in fact. Okay. Uh, You've heard of Mother, Ter- Mother Teresa. Yes. Would you be surprised if I told you that um, back in 2000, they, they actually uh, thought that she might be possessed by a demon? I and, would be and, in shock at that. Yeah, look it up online. All right. Mother Teresa. Um, and the um, the exorcism that was performed. Why would they think she was possessed? Because of her behavior. When a person Mother Teresa from their, from their behavior and they and and do bizarre things. Um, I could list a whole lot of things right now, but it's not pertaining to Mother Teresa. Okay, just in general, if a person strays from their from their natural um, uh, behavior, such as um, oh I don't know maybe um, eating their own feces or maybe. Um, scratching the walls until their nails are embedded, or maybe um, eating animals, or, or injecting or, or putting weird stuff into their bodies, or um, excessive masturbation, or other things like, um, you know, these are not normal behaviors per se, and, and these are all telling signs that something is up. Now, if it's a mental, I mean, because, you know, understand that the mental situation can also mimic, psychosis can mimic um, right. There, symptoms there, of demonic possession. There's a fine so, line there, right? There's a very fine line. And, and, and if we ever make a mistake and we decide to go forward and actually perform a ritual and the person is not uh, possessed 
by a demonic entity, then what would happen is we would throw them further into their psychosis, and that could wind up into a case of suicide. Oh, of course. Now, do you, if it ends up being psychosis and not demonic possession, do you find them a therapist or a psychiatrist? Yeah. We refer them to, the, to whatever county they live in. Um, if they're uh, low income, there's always uh, programs that are available uh, uh, and as a result, they can they can enroll in any of these programs. We do, and we have in the past referred them to social services um, for you know mental disorders and things in this nature. When our psychiatrists, um, when they give us the feedback in regards to the psychological uh, profile that they submitted, uh, and they say that it's definitely um, signs of perhaps maybe a chemical imbalance or. Or, or something going on other than demonic, then we have to really take them seriously. And we, uh, and, and whatever whatever we had planned or scheduled uh, for in regards to a ritual would obviously not be uh, would not take place. Why? Would, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was going to say we would just simply refer them to the proper services. Why can some people fight off these entities, never ever ever be possessed, and then others get possessed? You know, it's it's interesting. Um, if you have um, if you have an, any intellect, if you want to really understand the world, most people uh, within their own you know um, aggressive um, search for knowledge, sometimes they uh, they may look under the wrong rock and realize that they've just uncovered something that will not only affect their life but perhaps their future. And, of course, I'm referring to communicating with spirits. I'm referring to um, people that, that, um, that heard, perhaps, if they communicate with dark forces, that they could achieve and develop uh, supernatural abilities, psychic abilities even, if they're willing to do certain things. Uh, and it, it's kind of a, a trade-off. It's a deal that you make with, basically, the dark forces of uh, Satan himself. So, you know, these are things that, you know, that we... Uh, that we believe, in, and most of us uh, are really firm in our beliefs in regards to um, when a person is is trying to seek knowledge, they could they could perhaps maybe seek in the wrong um, areas, and and it might be very devastating to them. How long does it take to really ascertain if somebody's possessed? Well, if the person's body is levitated, okay, and I mean I mean literally levitated, really, I mean off the bed. Have okay, you seen and, that? defies the laws of gravity, if you will. <laughs> uh, you see that, well, then you you know, you know have to kind of say to yourself, well, that doesn't seem to be, uh, I don't know, ep- epilepsy or anything. No. no. I, have you actually seen levitation? Uh, in my um, 30-something years, um, I, I could tell you that I've probably seen maybe at least a dozen. Oh, my gosh. And that's not including the transformation that takes place. Their, their physical self turns Turns uh, their their body becomes discolorated, um, mostly uh, gray in, in in most cases. The the climate in the room becomes extremely cold, to a point where you're like you feel like you've walked into an ice box. Anywhere near their presence, the air is so thick and pressing. It's like it's like you're. Hmm. I don't know if you ever walked into a chamber where there's a a, 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 a amount of air that just pushes your it's body like back. a meat cooler or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and yet you feel that, and it's like it's very alarming, to say the least. Your your natural senses, you know, would actually go into overdrive, and then you you start thinking about certain things, and some people freak out, <laughs> literally. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm talking about the investigators, not not the victims. 
just witnessing these things can be very devastating to the uh, to the team. Have you ever had an investigator run away? Oh yes, <laughs> sorry to say. Um, I mean, all of our all of our investigators and clergy, as far as I'm concerned, are heroes. They will um, they're the kind of people that would run towards. Um, some type of horrible, hideous uh, entity where others would run away. And they would be there and they would defend those individuals. But I have to say, you know, we're only human. And sometimes um, there's only a certain amount of tension and, um, and, and intake that you could actually tolerate before, you, before that cracking point. So, yes, there have been... Um, there have been uh, investigators that have left the premises in the middle of a ritual. There has even been a priest that was possessed where they were in the middle of, a, of an actual exorcism. And as a result, um, something happened in his thought process. Now, let me explain something. Um, the exorcist has to prepare themselves at least three days before the actual ritual. So there's a whole series of things they have to do. They have to fast. They have to pray. They have to meditate. There's a whole uh, conditioning thing that's involved, where they have to make sure that they are ready to actually perform the ritual and and see it through. Now, now that that's not taken lightly, and unfortunately, there are a lot of people that should not be um, uh, in front of a victim and and saying a ritual if they're not properly prepared, because it could just simply backfire on them. And this goes into demonic oppression as well. I mean. All these things could take place. Demonic oppression is like, it's like the, the dark entities are planting a seed in your mind, in your subconscious mind, and it creates your own physical actions. And you're thinking it's your own idea, but when uh, in reality it was an implant, it was a demonic implant of a seed into your, into your subconscious. And then you're, you start deviating from your natural behavior. So if that the, makes any sense. One of the one of the priests involved in the exorcist that the movie was made from uh, lived in St. Louis and refused until he died uh, to never do interviews after that exorcism. It scared him so much. He was never the same, Archbishop. That's that's a, a very real scenario. You will never ever see a camera in a room in a ritual room where an exorcism is actually being performed. And I'm referring to a genuine case of demonic possession. You will never, ever see a camera. You might see a recording, maybe some kind of recording device, but you'll never see a, a camera um, in regards to witnessing an actual uh, event because the, the, the main reason is the victim himself and the family members. This is a very personal it's a very personal thing. It's, it's something that, that they don't want publicized. This is where, where their behavior is so bizarre that as a result, um, you know, it, it's, it's just something they couldn't live with. So we, uh, as clergy and, and, and part of the, this ministry, we keep everything strictly confidential. So what happens behind closed doors in the exorcism room is just that. The movie The Exorcist, I've seen that movie myself, and I will tell you that um, a lot of everything you saw was obviously done for entertainment, but, but everything you saw was just maybe just the, the tip of the, of the iceberg. Yeah, pr pretty realistic, I bet. Uh, it was frightening. Everything was the first movie of its kind in regards to concentrating on the actual ritual of exorcism. Yeah. But, uh, but as a result, um, there are a lot of things, I'm sure, in the original, the real event, 
that happened that took place that you will never know. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.